Have you ever noticed sometimes it's really hard to be a Christian? Like when you have a conflict with somebody and you're supposed to be nice? Now's a really bad time to talk to your wife or husband. Just kind of like keep it underground for a second. Yeah, or, or when you have a conflict with somebody that's a Christian. Or here's when it's even harder yet. When you have a conflict with somebody in, when you're playing sports. That's when it's really, anybody agree? That's when it's really hard to be a Christian. Or here's even worse, right? You have a conflict with somebody while you're playing sports that involves your kids. Like if you ask me sometime, I will tell you this wonderful story about my wife who happens to be absent today, uh, so I can't really talk about her while she's gone, about what she did one day when our children were ill-treated in sports. Just ask me about that sometime. That story is just too fun to tell. Yeah, it's hard to be a Christian when you have a conflict, when you have a conflict in sports, and when you have a conflict in sports that involves your kids. So this is what happened to Linda. Linda was a basketball coach, and she had a conflict with a friend, a close friend. It was a Christian friend that went to her church. And, and, and Linda and her friend Paula, I have permission from both of them to tell this story. Uh, Linda and her friend Paula, they had words about this conflict over the phone at nighttime. Sharp words were exchanged. It was a Saturday night. Now, now Linda and Paula, both believers, both went to the same church. So Sunday morning, Linda gets out of her car, and she's walking to the church, and guess who's waiting for her at the door? Paula. And Paula says, Linda, and I'm so sorry about what I said on the phone last night. I'm so sorry. Linda, will you forgive me? Linda says, uh, yeah, I, f I forgive you. But things weren't the same after that. There was scar tissue in the relationship. And then um, not long after that, tragedy struck and, and Linda got breast cancer. She's at her home one day and somebody came to the door. She went to the door and it was Paula. Paula had brought over dinner Linda has six children, and Paula didn't bring a pizza. Paula brought a whole meal. And the next week, on the same night, Paula came back again, and she rang the doorbell, and she had a full meal for her family of eight. And week after week after week, while Linda was in treatments for her breast cancer, which, by the grace of God, she survived, Paula brought a meal over, the reason I know this story is because Linda's my sister-in-law, and I overheard my wife saying these words one day. When I was walking through the room, I heard my wife go, now she's a real Christian. And I went, what? And I waited until Lois got off the phone, and I said, what, what did you just say? And Lois says, what do you mean? I said, you know, you said something there at the end of the conversation. What did you say? Oh, she said about Paula. I said, she's a real Christian. So let's talk about if you're a real Christian and when it's, when it's hard to be a real Christian when, when somebody hurts you. And I want to, I in our second message on the treasures of, of my heart, which is part 
biblical teaching and, and part personal testimony. Last week I gave you three treasures from my heart, which were passages of Scripture that we not only believe, but we practice and really testimonies of that. I want to give you three more, and these really do have all of them to do with, with forgiveness. And here's the first one. Take your Bible and look in Luke chapter 17. And we're going to talk a little bit about what to do when someone sins against you. When you have a conflict, when somebody hurts you, when somebody mistreats you. Frequently in the teaching of Jesus, he would talk about times like this. Like he knew there were going to be times that people mistreat us. Sometimes our brothers in the family, sometimes our brothers in in the church, sometimes unbelievers. He knew that these would be times, times of hurt are also times of temptation. Listen to uh, Luke 17, and this is throughout the teaching of Jesus. Luke 17 is just one example. And, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins, if somebody, in other words, Jesus said, if he sins against you, in other places frequently, like Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, if somebody sins against you, here's what it says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And if you know a little bit about the teaching of Jesus, you know that some very severe warnings are attached to this command to forgive people who have hurt you. In in, uh, Romans chapter 12, there's a passage there toward the end of Romans, and it's, it's like the house rules of the Christian faith. It's like this is what it should look like to be a Christian. And among what I like to call the house rules of the Christian faith, Paul writes something just shocking and, and Christian that followers of Christ have to take seriously or they can't really call themselves followers of Christ. Here's what he says in, in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot we could talk about in there. But the main idea is, he says, when somebody hurts you, don't you hurt them back. Which brings me to this first treasure of my heart. You're most vulnerable to sin when you are sinned against. You are most vulnerable to sin when somebody sins against you, you're, you're, you're more likely to hurt other people when, when you've been hurt. People, you know, you've heard this before, right? Hurt people, hurt people. Have you heard that? Hurt people, hurt people. Somebody hurts you. You don't have to really look very hard to find out that that probably comes out of some hurt or series of hurts in their life. This is probably one of the reasons. This is a treasure of my heart to understand some of my darkest hours, right, have been when somebody has sinned against me. So I, here's, the, here's the truth that I, I want to give you from my heart as a treasure. That is, watch out when somebody hurts you. Watch out, like your husband, your wife, your kids, 
that's a neglect or, or harm or, or a harsh word, or you hear that someone has said something about you, or, or even maybe worse than that, watch out. The next thing you do after someone hurts you in the teaching of Jesus is never retaliation, right? Never appropriate to retaliate. There's self-defense. Um, there's just war theory. He bears not the sword in vain. We can talk about that another time. But the teaching of Jesus is non-retaliatory, right? Don't, you don't retaliate when someone sins against you. This is a treasure, really, from my heart, it, it, and that is that be careful what you do when somebody sins against you because the next thing that you do right then, you're vulnerable to sin yourself. And a lot of times the sin you sin back against the sin somebody sinned against you actually causes more trouble than the sin against you. It'll certainly cause you more trouble. Another way of looking at it probably is just to say, if somebody's going to sin against you, let them do all the sinning. It's like, you just go right ahead there, you sin but I'm not going to get sucked into that swamp of sin. I'm not going to swim with you in your leech-populated swamp of sin. You go right ahead and you sin yourself. I'm not going to join you there. And uh, vengeance is mine. Jesus, the teaching of Jesus is clear. Jesus cares deeply about how we treat one another. And, you, you know, in the, in, in the first discourse of Matthew, in, which we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is often identified as the essential teaching of, of Jesus, certainly the ethical teaching of Jesus, he says there, you know, you've heard it's been said by those of old time that you shouldn't commit murder. You're like, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't murder people. You're like, okay, check, I don't murder people. But then he goes through this list that kind of dials into, and you don't even call him names like you blockhead or you fool or you blockhead. Because if you do, what? Harsh, you're in danger of ultimately of what? The council, but ultimately of what? Do you remember this? Hell, fire. There's some incendiary language. Did you get that? It was a pun. Yeah. Yeah, that's how danger of hell, fire. It's like Jesus doesn't want you to call people names. He wants you to treat people with kindness, and, and he doesn't want you to retaliate against them. When I was a kid, I loved the little comic book, Chick Track, with little and my favorite one was Holy Joe. And because it, it, it had the story in Holy, the little comic book track, Holy Joe, it, this was the ethic of Jesus that it displayed. Here, this guy was a GI and he got saved. And then after he got saved, he's kneeling by his bunk and praying, right? And so his, his, the other guys, they pelt him with their boots right? And so then they go to sleep, you know, like in a drunken stupor. And then, and then he does what? He shines their boots. And in the morning, all their boots are lined up, all spit shined. Because, and I, as a kid, that, that just appealed to me. That's why Jesus is appealing to us. Something about the beauty of his character. This is a big part of it. He doesn't teach us to retaliate against people who are hurt and hurt us. He teaches us to, to, do, to take other steps of, of action, which are, which are often bold and, and, and often courageous, sometimes confrontive, but, but not, not retaliation. I once heard about a farmer. Somebody said, are you a Christian? And instead of giving a theology, he just quietly looked down. He got a little notebook out of his pocket, and he made some notes on a piece of paper in the notebook. And then he tore out the piece of paper and he handed it to the person who asked if he was a Christian. And he said, these are the names of my neighbors. Go ask them. 
when the church was considering calling me to be the pastor. Thank you, by the way, for doing that. I love you, and it's nice to have a job and all. And I'm like, I love you, I love you, and, and I'm so thankful to be with you and among you. One of the things they did was they asked for references. One of the things I did was I gave them my neighbor's names. This week we close our house on Friday and we leave. And I'm going to miss my neighbors. Not all of them know the Lord. All of them have heard. And I really pray that all of them have seen Jesus in my life. Are you a Christian? One of the things that shows we're Christian is we don't retaliate. So that's a treasure. It's a treasure. You're most vulnerable to sin when you're sinned against. So here's the way I say it. Be careful. Learn to be really careful when people hurt you. Because what happens next is something that confirms your testimony or it's something you're going to have to clean up for a long time after that. Be, that's a treasure. Here's, here's another one. Take your Bibles and look in Ephesians chapter 5. It's related. I love Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sure you do too. Ephesians chapter 4 is what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 4 and, and verses, verse 26. In Ephesians 4, um, you, you have this, you know, you know how the, the book of Ephesians is an epistle. And you know this, the six chapters and the first three are, are kind of the heavy lifting the theology of it in a couple of beautiful lyrical prayers that are theologically laden about kind of who you are in Christ. And it's, it's full of theological depth about who you are. And then, you know, that the last three chapters are very, very practical about how you should behave and how you can behave because of who you are, right? And this is the section that's very super practical. Since you are a child of God seated in the heavenlies, chosen and cherished by God, then this is the, what your life should look like. This is how you should behave. This is kind of the essence in the epistles or, or the letters to the churches of, of Christian teaching. This is, what, this is really the heart of what it means to be Christian. And in this, you have an interesting um, just a series of things, and, and it feels violent to just jump into the middle. But look at verse 20, 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You can be spiritually transformed different. Your basic temperament is going to be the same. Your, 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 your intelligence you know, is going to be the same. But spiritually, you can be transformed and be like Jesus said. It's like old self, new self. Does that happen to you? Think about it. Sometimes, you know, just turning over the new leaf and trying harder, it's just going to, that's just a dead end. You need spiritual transformation. If you don't know about that, we'll be happy to explain it to you. Now, put off your old self, put on your new self, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now listen to verse 26. Now, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's interesting, isn't it? And then it says, and give no opportunity to the devil. That is shocking. 
So here's the this relational truth that comes out of this, and that is, you know this, right? And that is the best way to deal with those hurts, like in your family, with your loved ones or your friends or people that you work with is daily. Take care of business before you go to bed. Don't go to bed with that unresolved tension, that unresolved anger, that unresolved hurt, that unresolved offense. Because if you do what happens, according to verse 27, you're giving an opportunity to the devil. Yeah, literally, Satan and his demons are active in this matter of, of when we don't deal with our sin, our hurts, our, for, our forgiveness. So, so here's the treasure of my heart. That I, This is the way I want to express it to you. Bitterness, which is the word we're using for not being willing to forgive or taking care of our sins against people, is demonic. But mercy is divine. Bitterness is demonic. Mercy is divine. Christian people, are, they live under the mercy. Christian people cherish the mercy of God. Christian people give mercy to other people. They're merciful people. And if you're not merciful, Jesus said it over and over again. If you're not merciful, you're not what? You're not Christian. You say, I'm an unmerciful Christian. No, you're not. You're deceiving yourself. If you say, I'm a Christian that doesn't extend mercy, then guaranteed you're deceiving yourself. Jesus said that over and over again in different ways. And, and, and so look in verse 32, um, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. And 30, 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away. And malice, and verse 32 says this, be kind to one another and tenderhearted and forgiving one another and, and, and then here's the bomb he drops. As God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Why you forgive? Because you're forgiven. You can't go to the cross and receive forgiveness and then kick other people out of the way. It's like, hey, you can't kneel here. You, you can't do that. You, you don't, you, you're confused. You don't understand. And so it's not optional, right, to say to be, whether you give mercy. It's, it's, it's what it means to be Christian because you receive mercy, you give mercy, you forgive people. You say, well, okay, that, that's easy. No, that's not easy. You haven't lived long if you think that's easy. Someone's going to come along and hurt you bad or hurt somebody you love and do you great damage. And then we, then we get to see, are you going to be Christian? Are you going to trust God and his sovereign purposes? It, because when you do, it is divine. And here's, the, here's what I know from two things, from studying, the, well, three things, studying the scripture, my own personal life, and from giving counsel to people. When people are unable or unwilling to forgive, they're giving a place for oppression, for demonic activity in their life, believers and unbelievers alike. You want, if you want darkness to come flooding into your relationship, just, just choose not to forgive, and darkness is going to come over your life. Satan loves that. Demons love that because bitterness is what? It's demonic. Remember that. But mercy is it's godlike. It's divine. It's what, and and I, I've spoke with a woman who was oppressed with anger. And, and when she chose to forgive, God delivered her, and her whole family would say, she's like a new person. Some of you need to be delivered from a spirit of anger. 
where you're being tormented in a spirit of anger. Bitterness is demonic, but, but mercy is divine. And, and I no, don't normally do this, but let me just read an extended testimony to you from a woman who was terribly harmed, terribly hurt. And her, her greatest hurt wasn't that she went through hurt. Her greatest hurt was her father was hurt and his life was prematurely ended. Her beloved sister was hurt and her life was ended prematurely. And then she lived, but she had to deal with this terrible hurt. And you've heard of her. Her name is Corey Tenboom. And she was put into a, 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 a concentration camp in World War II. And then after she was released, she became what she called a tramp for the Lord. And one of her best books is a book called Tramp for the Lord. Buy it and read it. It's anointed. And the reason it's anointed is because this isn't just some theory this lady wrote. It's because she was terribly hurt and she went to God and forgave. And she tells a story about going back. Now, with her, the, you, know, you know that the concentration camp, was, she was from Holland. And you know that the concentration camp was in Germany. And, and then when she was a tramp for the Lord, she told the Lord she'd go all over the world and she would tell of God's love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And guess where God sent her? Germany. So she goes back to Germany, and here's what she says. It was 1947. I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. And it was the truth that they needed to hear most in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture, which she says that when our sins are forgiven, they're drowned in the depths of the sea, and that God puts up a sign, no fishing allowed, right? The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe that they could be forgiven. And then that's when I saw him, she says. He was working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, and the next a blue uniform and a cap with a skull and crossbones. And it came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. That place was Ravensbrook. And the man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards there. And now he was in front of me, and he thrust out his hand. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He wouldn't remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. Oh, you, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. He said, but since that time, I want you to know I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would love to hear it from your lips, Fräulein. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I, whose sins again and again had been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? 
could have been many seconds that I stood there with, with his, he stood there with his hand held out. But to me, it just seemed as hours as I wrestled with the, with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgave has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion, and I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You must supply the feeling. So woodenly and mechanically, I thrust out my hand to the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, and it brought tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all my heart, for a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known this intensity of God's love before as I did then, but even then I realized it was not my love, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, Bitterness is demonic. Forgiveness is divine. So it's a treasure of my heart. The mo- you're most vulnerable to sin when you're sinned against. Bitterness is demonic. Mercy is divine. Let me show you another. Look in Matthew chapter 5. Again, in the teaching of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. And it's in Luke chapter 6 as well. When Jesus was an itinerant preacher and he would repeat things, and when you look at the Gospels and you gather together the things that he said, then you you kind of a composite of things that that Jesus said. And Jesus gave teaching about loving your enemies frequently. And in Matthew 5 and in in Luke and uh, chapter 6 and verse 27, you have this teaching, and it's it's really what to do when, when somebody sins against you, and what do you call someone, what, is, what did Jesus call somebody who sins against you? He called them your, your enemy. And, it's, and the essence of Jesus' teaching is do what to your enemy? Eliminate your enemy. Like, no, snuff out your enemy. Oppose your enemy. No, you know it, right? The teaching of Jesus is what? Love your enemy, which in the abstract seems very simple. Do you actually have an enemy? that hurts you or threatens you or hurts your kids or, 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 or damages you in some irreparable way. So this is what happened. Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, love your enemy. And, there, and then if you, you look at Matthew 5 and Luke together, you, you see basically says three things. If someone says something bad against you and then they curse you, you do what to them? You bless them, you say good things to or about them. They say bad things to or about you, you say good things to or about them. That's how you love your enemy, number one. And if they do bad things to you, you do good things for them. This is the Jesus way. And then if they just continually persecute you, then what do you do? You put them on your prayer list, which is the best way to love somebody. It's to ask for God's best for them, and you pray regularly and continuously for them. Jesus says, this is how you do this now. When, when people hurt you, that's one thing. When they hurt your kids, that's just intolerable, right? I had a guy come to my 
study one day, and he was not happy. He had a little girl, adorable, adorable little girl, young girl, junior high girl, just a precious junior high girl, and she was the apple of his eye. And some of the other girls had said some very, very harmful things, and she was devastated, and he was very angry. And he came in my study, he said these words, and I'm sure he didn't mean them, but he said, I will burn this church to the ground. And I thought, please do not burn this church to the ground. That would be, that would be bad. But he's expressing his anger and his hurt, and he was just out of control angry. I will leave this church. I will never come back. Nobody will treat my daughter this way. I will burn this church to the ground. (laughs) I thought, right now, he's not listening to any counsel. Like, he's so hurt. So here's what I said to him. I said, well, I can understand why you'd be hurt. And this is no small thing. So it's not something that we should act on right now but we should seek the mind of the Lord about this. I said, you know, I'm going away up north for a weekend, and while I'm going up north, why don't I pray about this? And when I get home, we'll talk. And why don't you just go home and you pray about it? And then after I get back from up north, we'll, we'll get back together and we'll talk about what we should do because nobody should treat your girl this way. And he said, all right. And then I went up north and I thought about him all the way up north and all the way back. And I thought about his little girl. She's just this precious little girl. And I thought about my girls. And I thought, what would I say to my girls? And then it was kind of easy because I've had that conversation with my girls lots of times. So when I got home, I called him on the phone. And I said to him, I said, you know, I I went up north and I prayed and the Lord put something on my heart that I think is going to help your girl. Can I come over tonight? And can I talk with her? And you can be in the room, you and your wife and, and your other daughter. And then just let me talk with her a little bit to help her because she really was mistreated and it's not right. And he said, Pastor, that'd be great. You come over. And so when I got to the house, they were all there in the room. And then I looked over at that little girl and I said to her, are you a Jesus follower? And she said, yes. I said, I knew you were. I said, do you love him with all of your heart? She said, yes, I do. I said, would you do anything he wants you to do? She said, yes, I would. I said, if Jesus came in the room tonight and he had something for you to do and he asked you to do it, would you do it? And she was so sweet. Yes, I would. I said, well, Jesus put in his word what he wants us to do when people hurt us. Do you have a copy of the Bible? Yes. So she she ran off to her room and she came back with a big Bible and opened it up in her lap. And then I turned to this passage in Matthew in chapter Five, and I showed her in Matthew in chapter 5 there in that particular version of the Bible right together in those three things when somebody says something bad about you or to you what should you do? Like burn the church down? The answer is no you don't burn the church down you may come and clean the church come and decorate the church come and serve at the church give to the church don't, don't ever burn it down don't do that yeah what do you do? When somebody says something bad, you, you bless them. So Jesus says, this is what you do. This is the treasure for my heart, folks. Deal with hurts the Jesus way. Deal with hurt the Jesus way. So I said to her, then if somebody does something bad, what does Jesus say? How do you love them? Do something good. 
And if they continually persecute you, what do you do? You pray for them. And I said to her and to her family, are you all followers of Jesus? Yes. Are you going to do what he says? Yes, we will. And they did. And so should you. That's the Jesus way. Jesus is the most fascinating person in the whole world. Jesus is the most beautiful person in the whole world. The teaching of Jesus is the greatest teaching in the whole world. Very God of very God. And a human being who himself was harmed and hurt and forgave. That's why he's so beautiful. We love to study Jesus in every, from every facet, right? Like we study, it would be interesting to go through the New Testament and study the, the homes that Jesus visited. What stories we could tell about the homes that Jesus visited. Or Jesus was one of those bright, uh, kind of indirect teachers where he would teach by asking questions. Wouldn't it be fascinating if we were to study the questions that Jesus asked, uh, the homes that Jesus visited, the people that Jesus healed, the people that Jesus rebuked, the questions that Jesus asked, but here's one, I, one of the things I love about Jesus is that Jesus was the master storyteller. And what a study it is to study the stories that Jesus told. Before we go home, I want to show you a great secret that goes along with these. In one of the places where there is a cluster of Jesus stories, and all the stories that Jesus told in this cluster were, were what he called stories of the kingdom. He says, this is what my kingdom is like. And then he just, in a staccato fashion, he told these stories and he let people think. And one of them is in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. And I would not be, I would be practicing pastoral malpractice if I taught you that you could have any treasure from God that didn't come from Jesus, who himself is the treasure. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, this is one of the stories that, that Jesus told. It's a beautiful story. And he said, this is, what the, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure in a field which a man found and he covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Here's the secret, right? There are treasures in his word, right? Truths in his word that you can obey and you can apply in your life, and they'll become lifelong treasures to you. But the key to all of them, the treasure behind the treasure, is Jesus himself. You need Jesus himself. You need to be saved. You need to be a Jesus follower. You need to fall in love with Jesus over and over again every day. Devote yourself again and again to follow the Jesus way in the power of the Holy Spirit. The little story, it seems so small, it's like there's not that much in it. But if you go and you look, there's this profound truth in it. Right? The guy stumbles on a treasure, right? And then what does it say? He says, he goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field so he can have the treasure, right? What part did I leave out? You know, right? What? It was for joy over it, he goes, and he sells all that he has. So what Jesus is saying is that kingdom of heaven, 
The treasure that Jesus is, is infinitely greater treasure than everything else that you have. When you really understand who Jesus is, when you really understand the treasure that Jesus is, everything else in your life is just junk, you know, in comparison. You rush home and you have a big garage sale and you say, honey, I'm selling the snowblower and I'm selling the snow machine and I'm selling the jet ski and I'm selling my fly rods and I'm selling all your stuff and all your mother's stuff. Everything's going and you're giddy with joy, and your wife is going, are you crazy? What are you smoking? What's going on? And you're like, I discovered something that's more valuable than everything that we own. That's the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. Do you have him? Do you know him? Do you love him? We got people in our church that are the prayer people. They're very special. They come up at the end of the service, and they stand here, and they're here because they're spiritually mature, tender-hearted people. And they want to pray with you. Sometimes I wonder if a person could get in and out of our church and go away and not know how to be a Jesus follower. Listen up. If you're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, if you're not sure that you have a place in heaven, here's how you do it. Have somebody show you in the Bible real clearly how to put your sin over on Jesus and receive him to yourself. And what usually happens is we, we offer a sinner's prayer you know, God, be merciful to me. A sinner, save me. I believe in you. And the Bible says in the moment that we actually believe that Jesus died for our sins, we cross from death into life, and you can do that before you leave today. And so we're going to sing a song, a beautiful song about Jesus, our treasure. Sing with all your heart. And then after you're done, if we can help you, call us. Our email and our phone numbers of pastors and elders, are, you can get a hold of us easily. But, but you don't even have to leave the building today. Maybe you could come and pray and say, Jesus, I just want to say again, you're my treasure. You're everything to me. Or maybe for the very first time, you can receive. Let's stand together and let's sing together.